0: Welcome. It's an it's a interesting start to our service, isn't it? Uh, recognizing uh, this holy God that we were just singing about, and yet we're so prone to wander. We're so prone to drift away from him. Did you hear the, the words, only a holy God? Who else could rescue me from my failings? Who else would offer his only son. Who else invites me to call him father? And yet, we turn away. Often, we turn away. We look for help in something else or someone else. I don't understand it. (laughs) I do the same thing. So as we open God's word this morning, would you pray again with me? and ask God to help us to see, to hear, to draw near. Dear Lord, we we thank you. We thank you that we can come and open this book, this revelation, this revealed truth that tells us about you, tells us about how In the past we have rejected you and yet you have redeemed us you have called us you have sent your son who has laid down his life for us taking upon himself our sin giving us his righteousness and being raised From the dead Lord we come with grateful hearts yet we acknowledge when we are in the presence of a holy God we are very aware how different we are than you Lord I pray today as we open your word help us to be changed you're the one that takes our heart of stone makes it a heart of flesh do that afresh today for our good and for your glory in jesus name amen so here we are today 1 corinthians chapter 8 you may have uh, heard the 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 introduction or the title of this and thought to yourself meat offered to idols is that really going to be helpful for me today? Uh, is, this, is this just a passage that is one of those that only applied to the context that they were uh, living in at the time? And for us, it's, it's somewhat of a, let's quickly get through it and on to something that we can really apply to our, our lives today. Well, the reality is the, the topic of meat offered to idols may seem obscure to us. Yet, in fact, in this world that we live, a majority of the world, well, at least a large percentage of it, thinks differently about the spiritual world. In fact, um, we lived in Bali, and the presence of idols in idol worship was a daily event. It's very much a part of how they would identify, not only as a culture, but as an identity how do we identify ourselves where do we turn for help i think you'll see as we unpack just these first six verses today that paul is setting the stage for us to consider once again something that may seem obscure but is a is something that we face almost on a daily basis. In fact, today I've, I've kind of tried to encapsulate it like this. I wanna give you three reasons to resist the cultural current. Now think about that for a second. You might say, what current are you talking about anyway? I don't know about you, but when I leave a Sunday I'm motivated, I know what is right. I'm desiring to live and become more like Christ, to do and say the right thing. But as soon as I step into the workplace, as soon as I get into an environment where there seems to be a current taking me along that's telling me the answers to life are found somewhere else than in this book. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. It no longer applies. I don't know if you feel that. I do. But there's three reasons I would put to you today to resist this cultural current. And it's a current that leads me away from my love for God. How do I do that? How do i resist this current that leads me away from god and my love for him three things you have been known by him there is only one god and lastly you are sustained by him these three things we'll unpack and i'll say them again a little bit later but as we look at Uh, Corinthians chapter 8, you'll notice that it starts off with these now becoming familiar words, now concerning. This is not the first time you've heard it. In fact, it's the third time. So chapter 7, twice, talks about now concerning, now concerning. What is this concerning? Well, if you remember back at the beginning of chapter 7, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth in response to the concerns that they had, real concerns, struggles, in fact, struggles to the point that it was causing division. Some people were following Paul, some people were following Apollos, some were following Cephas, and some claimed to be following Christ. There was different groups, different perspectives on how this early church should look and what they should do 1 corinthians chapter 1 says in verse 10 i appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord jesus christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment and the reason why he's saying that is he says for it's been reported to me like Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is, and then he goes on to say, how they're following after different men. They're making much of men and less of God. So today we're going to be talking about uh, what does that look like? As Paul addresses in response to not only their questions, but things that he's heard the corinthians not only had been quarreling and had divisions but they had actually done things that were um, even worse than unbelievers and this happens in today's world as well so chapter five says that paul had actually heard reported that there was sexual immoral, immoral, <laughs> immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even by pagans For a, For a man is with his father's wife and then he says are you arrogant ought you not rather to mourn paul is seeing this this new struggling church in corinth not only getting confused but actually embracing things that are far from god So today, as we look at now concerning food offered to idols, I wanna point out just a couple of things. It says, we know that. Now, this should kind of stand out a little bit because we've heard, and in fact, in this letter, we'll hear 10 different times. uh, uh, (laughs) I just slipped out of my mind. 10 different times, it says, Uh, or do you not know or do you not know or do you not know they had forgotten they had drifted they had not remembered but on this particular thing they say we know in fact we know that all of us possess knowledge we have a knowledge we hold on to a knowledge and it's working for us In fact, when we have these kind of arguments around topics like food offered to idols, each one is equally convicted on what they know. Paul is asking them, what does this mean? What does it mean when we say, got it, we know? Because he continues the verse by saying, this kind of knowledge only puffs up This is the kind of knowledge that, in fact, is dividing you. These are the kind of things that uh, are off track. They're not the main thing. You're worried about these things, but you're having convictions on them, and it's causing you to stumble on the bigger things in life. In fact, in our world today, it's pretty clear that knowledge is important. Have you noticed that? Knowledge is very important. In fact, if you have the right qualifications, uh, the right experience, uh, the applied knowledge, you basically can get ahead, you can be promoted. And so we strive towards getting these uh, degrees and things like that. To be honest with you, the more that I've studied, the more I've come to the conclusion, how much? I don't know. I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did when I was 18. When I graduated from high school, I sat down with my dad and I told him what I was going to do. I was going to become an engineer, I was going to graduate, I was going to go on and get a master's. I had it all set out. There wasn't a lot of occupations really to choose from in Michigan, near Detroit. Pretty much everyone works in automotive, so it was easy. Automotive, engineering, get a good paying job, have a nice family, have a nice house, and so on. It didn't work like that. But that's how we look at things in this world, don't we? In fact, I think of it as this, as I've observed, we often do that. We observe, we identify, we come up with what the problem is, what works, what doesn't work, reevaluate and come to conclusions where we can say, this is a way forward. These are some ways of coping. And we educate. In fact, we write books, workbooks, sell them, make you come back for mandatory training each year. So it's a whole system, and we kind of love it in a way. It kind of ticks the box, makes us feel we're doing the right thing. But I recently had an experience at home where it didn't work out quite as well. I kind of think to myself, Roger, you're nearly 52. You've got six kids. You've kind of figured it out, right? You walk into the kitchen, you see a fridge, it has a jug of water, and you look on the floor, there's water on the floor, and guess what? You have children. <laughs> I don't know what goes into your head, but it's obvious to me if there's water in front of the fridge on the floor, probably someone who was being quick to pour it and didn't quite get back to clean it up. So that's the kind of thing, as a, as a little example, it's kind of hypothetical, but real. Um, <laughs> and I, I told Daniel I wouldn't mention any names, so it's all good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyways, those are the kind of things that we just do naturally. We observe. We identify. We come to conclusions. We educate. Makes sense. Life works. Sometimes. Well, Paul says, knowledge like this just puffs us up. Next thing you know, I've got a little couple of letters after my name or maybe a comment, a couple more letters. Something I just want to kind of promote, maybe put it in a nice frame on my wall. I've reached a point in education where you say, I've accomplished it, and you want to tell people about it and be properly promoted for it. It seems natural, doesn't it? But if we're not careful, it goes to our head. The thing that gets bigger is not necessarily our paycheck, but our head definitely gets bigger. Paul says, be careful. Knowledge has a tendency to puff us up, but love builds up. Paul wants to make it very clear this morning, and I'm going through this slowly in only a couple of verses, because it's setting the stage. In fact, this particular topic doesn't technically change topics until chapter 12, where we see now concerning spiritual gifts, which will be an interesting topic, won't it? (laughs) So we have a few chapters, don't we, where we're gonna be dwelling on this. The reality is knowledge puffs up, love, in contrast, builds up. Love is focused towards others. Knowledge is often focused towards ourself, making much of ourself versus building up someone else. What I'd like to kind of show you is just a a glimpse of what's coming. Now, don't look at this too carefully, because, yeah, you're going to uh, get distracted. But end of chapter 12 says these words, "And I will show you still a more excellent way. There's a better way of doing life. There's a better way of following Christ. There's a better way in which to come alongside of others, where you're not the focus, but others are the focus. It's called love. In fact, chapter 13, which follows, is an entire chapter, not necessarily for a wedding, but it's an entire chapter to talk about love. In fact, Paul starts off by saying this in chapter 13. If we speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but we do not have love, we're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, an annoying sound, completely useless and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith as is to remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing I am nothing Paul goes on to say in this chapter love never ends as for prophecies they'll pass away As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I am a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see, in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. So Paul is going to be pointing us to that, a better way, a way that says as an encouragement this morning, this is a better approach. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't wait till the next time you see your child and give them the what for for the for the um, water on the floor, right? Well, why I brought that up is because what I did do is I did withhold judgment. I did the right thing for once as a dad. I didn't jump on someone. I just said, okay, it was an accident, clean up the water. Everything's fine. It's no big deal. It's just water. But when I came back a little bit later, there was another puddle on the floor. And I thought to myself, okay, something's not quite right here. I cleaned it up. It seemed like it was under like going underneath. I thought, ah, oh. I don't know, it just was underneath the fridge and came back out. A couple hours later, water again. I think ah it's not the jug of water. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's not the jug of water. It's the fridge. You know, fridges, they do this little like cycle where they defrost or something and then they dump water on your floor sometimes if the little reservoir is already full. So I moved the fridge, checked the back. Everything was fine. Cleaned up the floor. A couple hours later, water on the floor. No jug. No fridge, no child. <laughs> Where's the water coming from? It's time to ask for help, isn't it? It's time to ask for help. I don't know where the water's coming from. I've ran out of uh, things to do. Well, this is the way Paul continues in verse 2. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We kind of go through life thinking that we know things, but in reality, we don't know as we ought to know. We only see a slice. We only see a, a, a small snapshot of what's going on most of the time. We make quick judgments. We make observations and conclusions quickly, but we've missed the point. In fact, Paul has said now quite a few times, not these words, but he said to the church in Corinth, You're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's not about you. It's about God. It's not about you. It's about God. So Paul is asking us to slow down, to consider. In fact, in verse 3, he says, But if anyone, you would think, if anyone knows God, but he, he doesn't say that. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul wants to make something crystal clear to us this morning. It's not about what we know that matters. Yeah, it's, it's helpful in life. I, I recommend schooling. I recommend finishing high school. All of those things are true. But that's not where we find answers to life. It's only when we cry out to this holy God, when we turn to him for help. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. It's hard to see in the English, but it reads a little bit like this. But if anyone loves God, he has been known by God. Past tense, past perfect. It's a done deal in the past. God knows us. In fact, he has awakened our hearts. As we prayed earlier, he's awakened our heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. We now look to him and consider it wisdom. Where before we looked to God and the gospel and we considered it foolishness, or a stumbling block, or a waste of time. Paul says, you are already known by God as believers. He's writing to those that are believers here in the church. What, is, what difference does that make? What difference does that make? Well, if you take it backwards, which is easier to do to kind of see it in English. (laughs) The one who is already known by God. His response to God is, I'm humbled that you would turn and love me, that you would choose me. Why choose me? This is one of the profound mysteries in life. Why has God chosen me to be his child? But he has. And it shows very clearly to me that it's not anything of myself. It's not what I've done. It's not what have I accomplished. It's not the the degrees that are behind my name. It's because God knows me, chose me, ordained me to be a child of God. And when I hear that, when I really hear it, I turn to him and I love him. And if that's true, it's also true earlier when it says, love builds up. Someone who's been awakened in their heart to God, sees their sin, repents from it, turns, clings to Christ, is humbled by what Christ has done in his life, and sees the gospel being lived out as a miracle in his life, loves God and wants to love others. In fact, that's what one of the passages Rebecca read earlier was talking about loving God, all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's only possible if God loves us first. So here we have it, the choice is yours. You can have an incomplete knowledge that puffs up, doesn't promote love and often puts people down. Or you can have a knowledge that fully knows us, intimately knows us. The response is humility. The response is love. The response is building others up. That's God's design. That's how we were made to love God. So the first little section, those first three verses, help us to see one reason to resist this cultural current, to leave God the one we love. This, this current we resist, you have been known by him. You have been known by him. Secondly, it continues. It says, therefore. Now, Paul is a kind of writer that is, uses particular terms to kind of like say, okay, there's, a, there's something important. So you should always ask the question, why is therefore, therefore? <laughs> so it's building on what was just said. In fact, he says the same phrase again but adds something to it. He says, now, as to the eating of food offered to idols. This isn't something that we're just observing, this meat or food that was offered to idols. It's something that we're partaking in, something that we're buying into. In fact, in this case, they were eating it. Now, there could have been a variety of reasons. In fact, sounds like there could be four or more groups that had reached different convictions on this and I think last week we mentioned that earlier in chapter 7 it says in view of the present distress so perhaps they were in a shortage of food perhaps they were in a situation where it was kind of like I'm being persecuted I'm being overworked there's little access to food it just makes sense it's either that or starvation. Or perhaps they were going through some other questions in their minds. This is one potential. I could, be, I could be a little bit off on this one. But chapter 11, it says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. It seems to me that there's people around them that must have been weak or ill or passed away. And perhaps, I think, perhaps, this could have been one of the things they were pointing to. It's this food offered to idols. You're not treating it properly or you're eating it or you're participating, partaking in it, in a way that's not right. And so maybe this is a form of judgment of some sort. There was lots of opinions going on. In fact, Yeah, It doesn't say specifically, and I think it doesn't because it helps us to apply it to our life today. But needless to say, verse 4 says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that. Here it is again. We know that. So what do they know? There's a couple of parentheses, or quote marks, I should say, uh, that you'll find in this text and in other texts. Paul's either quoting... Maybe the letter that he had received, or reports that he had heard, or possibly even unbelievers in that particular region that were kind of famous phrases. But these are not Paul's words, these are words that he's quoting. Now, that's what we think. In the original language, there's no quote marks, so it's a little bit of a, little bit of a question mark, but I think it works. It says, we know that, quote, An idol has no real existence unquote and that quote there is no God but one unquote so there's some things that we know that are actually true and influence what we do but sometimes we can take what is true too far now that's a hard one isn't it what does God desire for us when it comes to this? Well, when it comes to uh, idols have no real existence, it's true there's only one God. And so whether people are offering it to these, like Rebecca read earlier, these pieces of wood or stones or or something that they attribute uh, deity to, the reality is, there's only one God, and I I thought it would be good just to just hear this. You don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy that Rebecca read earlier says, "Hear, like get your get your ears open." It's actually the Shema if you've heard this. "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." This is a distinctive to the Jewish. They were Hebrew people back then. All of those around them worship many gods. They worship one God. In fact, it goes on to say this Then take care lest you forget the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God. Uh, you shall fear him shall you serve and by his name you shall swear you shall not go after other gods the gods of the people who are around you for the Lord Yahweh your God in your midst is a jealous God we need to be careful when it comes to things like this putting our trust in something or someone more than God. God doesn't take it lightly. In fact, he's jealous when we do. But verse five says, for although there are many be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote unquote gods and many lords, although there's people that acknowledge these things around you, there's a yet, verse 6. Now, there's things in this passage that are have some truth to them. You can almost say yes to, but then Paul says, but. Okay? So we've heard this. All of us possess knowledge. This knowledge pops up. But, okay, so there's some truth to having knowledge, but you're getting it wrong. And then, uh, if anyone... Uh, imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but anyone that loves God is known by him. There's this contrast going on, okay? A little bit of truth, but you're drifting, and there's a strong but. Well, the word that's used in the earlier uh, part of the passage, those two two buts are kind of like a, almost like an and, like a small but. Yes, I know that's probably not appropriate. Verse 6 is a yet. It's a very strong. Don't get this wrong. Don't miss this. In fact, my Bible has this little dash in there. I have no idea what it means, but it could mean yet. Don't, Don't miss this. For us, there is one God. In fact, he's our father. He's the one that we're in relationship with. Don't miss that. Don't forget that. In fact, this Father, this one God, from whom are all things, and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Now, if you, think, if you see things repeated in the Bible, it often draws emphasis. And sometimes you see things repeated three times. Well, this is repeated four. Paul is trying to make a strong point here. When it comes to understanding life, we've just seen a snippet. We've just seen a snippet. I was thinking about this earlier. I wasn't going to go here, but... I don't know if you recognize that we live in a, a difficult world. It's actually hard to live in this world. Like you, you feel like you're making steps forward and then something happens and you feel like you've gone backwards. Okay, it's just me. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, Paul writes about this in chapter 8 of Romans. And uh, uh, futility, help me out Lisa, where is futility? Uh, shoot, as you can see I shouldn't have gone there because I didn't have a note where it was. Uh, okay, when you're looking for something and you can't find it. Chapter eight of Romans talks about how this world is subjected to futility. 28. 20, yes, thank you. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Paul writes this book of Romans to remind us this creation that we live in, was subjected to futility. Frustration actually is maybe a good translation of futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Where does this all come from? There must be a starting point. There must be a beginning. There must be a rationale here, a logic. We often miss that in this world, don't we? Have you ever noticed that? We have these solutions, and they take in consideration the observations, but they don't necessarily go upstream and consider where it came from or where it's ultimately headed. Paul wants to remind us today that from whom this Father are all things, from whom are all things, for whom we exist and through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Does that sound familiar at all in, in Paul's writings? I don't know if you've heard this. this is I do, I do have this highlighted. <laughs> Chapter 11 of Romans says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And then he at the end says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul wants us to see it begins with God. It's sustained by God. And it's for God's glory, not our own. Reasons to resist the temptation to follow this culture stream that we live in. We have been known by Him. There is one God. And lastly, you are sustained by Him. This is the God who sustains us. In fact, if you go back to our little story, remember the fridge? Remember the water? Remember it wasn't a child? (laughs) Well, the reality is we called out for help. Someone who could see the bigger picture. In fact, you had to crawl inside of our attic to see. There was a pipe in our attic that was broken. The water was coming down the ceiling the wall and somehow coming out behind the fridge unbeknownst to us i think it had been maybe leaking for a little while and somehow it had soaked the wall soaked the ceiling in fact there was a source involved that was identified do you identify the source of life It's from him, it's through him, it's to him. It's all about God. Do we recognize what happens when we ignore him, turn away from him, do it our own way? Maybe put a mat in front of the fridge to just soak it up or maybe install a drain or something. We don't know what's happening in the background, do we? The wall is literally disintegrating because of water. Who knows what could have happened if we didn't catch it in time. It's serious. It's important. This book has words of eternal life where else do we have to go for from him and through him and to him he not only identifies us as his child this one god but he sustains us and the futility that we experience in this life it's subjected in hope It had a starting point. In fact, it's only two pages into my Bible. Remember, there was another story. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it in this day, or for the for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die god knows what's good for us he puts a pathway for us to follow it's not to limit our fun it's to give us life it's to give us purpose and meaning in this life it allows us an opportunity to wake up in the morning open God's word, and to see, to actually see God has purpose for today. God has gone before me, he lays his hand upon me, and he goes before me. This God we can trust. But what do we do? What do we do? So the serpent said to the woman, with the guy standing there, by the way. (laughs) But the serpent said to the woman, "'You shall not surely die.'" You're missing out. For God knows, I added that by the way, you're missing out. Uh, For God knows that when you eat from it, or of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, she saw, That the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit she ate the fruit she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate isn't that what we often do over and over again. God gives us words of life, a path of life. In fact, he sent his only son to give of his life, to take upon himself our sin, to die on a cross, to be buried. He rose again, victorious. In fact, giving us His righteousness that we didn't deserve. Grace and truth on display. And now he has risen. We're getting close to Easter. He has risen. He reigns today on his throne at the right hand of the Father in full control. You can trust him. You can turn to him. You can ask for help. And if you do, (laughs) if you do, these words will be true. I'm going to close reading just a small passage from James. Later on, maybe have a look at this during this week. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We're going to meet them, maybe later today, maybe tomorrow. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is the reality. We know what is true, yet we look elsewhere. We prone to wander, yet you say, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Please help us today to turn back to you. The one God who knows us better than ourselves. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you as you first loved us. O oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart.